you turn in your scriptures to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. We'll get started here in just a second. What we're going to do is do some context. And there's a little hum up here. Kelsey, and she's working on it. So the context for our scripture, you need to look at a little bit before. Uh, in chapter 4, we're going to see uh, what the context of what chapter 5 is all about. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll begin with chapter 4, around verse 8. <clears throat> Paul says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be dis displayed in our body. Now, I'm picking up with verse 16. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we begin with chapter 5, verse 1 and following. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we take it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be done in clothed, but clothed, so that the mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we're always confident and know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident. We would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Bow with me, Father God. May your words ring true, and you enlighten us to your ways and not our ways. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Paul's talking about a few things here. One, our earthly tent. Two, our heavenly body and our heavenly dwelling. And three, eternity, heaven. Now, have you ever stopped to ask yourself this question? What is eternity? It's a big question. It could be answered simply if you look at a dictionary, because the dictionary says it is infinite, unending time. It's pretty basic, but it's a little bit more than that, according to the scriptures. Now, in this world, there's a different view of eternity sometimes. So let's look at what some of the world looks at, some of their views on eternity. So the first step we're going to look at is something we call secularism. Basically, only the here and now exists. Pretty simple. Moving on to something else called atheistic existentialism. 
Basically the same thing. Only here, nothing else. Death is the end. That's it. Done. But then there's the old USA homegrown pragmatism. It says, since there's no ultimate truth, since there's no ultimate truth, we must embrace that which works. It must be practical. And there's no objective truth and no natural law, so to say. So basically, it's a matter of preferences. So truth equals that which works. Now, as a believer, we know that it's wrong. But if we go any further, what is a believer? We've got to make sure we're all on the same page. To be a believer, to be one called a Christian, to be one who's saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's what has to happen. Here's what you have to believe. It's not what I say. It's what the Scripture says. First of all, you know that God has to be drawing you to his son. It's his work that draws you, all right? You can't even have, don't have an inclination to want to go to Christ, want to go to God without God drawing you to his son in the first place. So it's his doing. Then once you realize that you're being drawn, you have to answer these questions about Jesus. He is, he was, and is, was born of a virgin, all right? He was, was and is God's son, and he lived a perfect life. And while he was on this earth, he showed us the characteristics and attributes of God and who he was, and that him and the Father are the one and the same, and also that he only does what his Father wants him to do while he's here on this earth, and that he went to the cross. And when he died on the cross, he died for your sins, for your badness, for your evil things. Then you had to believe that he rose again on the third day, conquering death. And then we know there's witnesses saw him. The scripture tells us hundreds and hundreds of witnesses saw him. And then he ascended, ascended into the heavens and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father because his work is done in justification and salvation. That's part of it. Then when you realize that and believe that, then as a potential believer, you have to go to him and say, I've got nothing. I am mourning my sin, my evilness. My, I have nothing good to bring to the table, Jesus. I have, and there's no way I can please God. There's no way I can please you. I give you everything. Please forgive me. Then Christ will give you his forgiveness. He will give you his mercy. He will give you his grace, all right, and his righteousness. And you are saved, justified. But then there's a whole process. The rest of your life is this big word called sanctification, meaning you are being made more and more and more like Christ, more and more like Christ's like mind, more and more holy like Christ. But we never obtain that because of the flesh we live in. It's a constant battle. But once that happens, then we know we have an eternal glory waiting for us called glorification when we have a new body and we get to be in heaven. That's what it means to be a believer. Now that we're all on the same page, we look back at this pragmatism, atheistic extensionalism, and we look at secularism. They believe, remember, the here and now. But one scripture, the very beginning of the Bible, flies in the face of this concept that there's nothing after death. There's only the here and now. It's when in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, meaning that there was a God, and he was before time. So he's outside of time. God is eternal. God is eternity. And he created. All right? Nothing created him. That flies in the face of these type of things. But did you know that the majority of these type believers of this thought process of pragmatism, secularism, atheistic, existentialism, do believe in a type of eternity? All you have to do is ask them. This is for a fun way to interact with people. 
ask them because most of them believe in that, that situation of a Big Bang Theory. And the Big Bang Theory is basically everything came from a singular type of form, singularity type form, right? Just one dot out there. What's out there? Just nothing, just a single form, single point, okay? And you push them, they say, where did it come from? And they will say, it was always there. Friends, that's the actual definition of eternity always there but yet they don't believe in eternity but for them to be here in existence they have to believe in an eternity but they don't believe in an eternity see the problem then there's this scientific law that they adhere to as we all do because it's a scientific law given by us by we know by God of called inertia this is just for fun all right this is the actual definition for inertia a property of matter there it is matter by which it continues in its existing state. So if it's at rest, it has to stay at rest. If it's in motion, it's a uniform motion, okay? And it's a straight line. Unless that state is changed by an external force. It can't do it itself. It's external. And that begs us the question to ask them, what, who, where, why, how? How does... Scientific laws get broken by nothing happening. If it can't happen, it's just sitting there, either in motion or not in motion, but it can't change its way unless something happens. It's a neat way to start into a stop, talk, boom, because at 2 o'clock, all of a sudden, everything just happened on Thursday. What? That's, does, it goes against all scientific laws. It goes against everything that we adhere to on this earth that we know that's laws of science. That's just an interesting way to start talking about eternity. Now, what do we say about eternity? Well, that's what we're going to talk about the rest of this morning. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. We'll go back through these a little bit verse at a time. And we're going to see what Paul is talking about. In verse chapter 1, chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. He's talking about our flesh. And when it goes away, he says we have something else. And it's there in the heavenly place, not made by hands, but we do know who made it because Jesus tells his disciples, says, I go and prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. And Jesus doesn't lie. If he did lie, we shouldn't be here. We're banking on something that it's bankrupt. But Jesus doesn't lie, so we know he's preparing a place for us, even our new bodies, not made with our hands, but made by him and his power. All right, verse 2, 3, and 4. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Since we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. All this is talking about is we groan while we're on this earth because we have failing bodies. There's an optimistic way to look and there's a pessimistic way to look. I like to be an optimistic person, right? You're born, you're living life to the fullest. But sometimes if you look at it in a pessimistic way, it's, it might reveal something about how short our life is. Because when you are born, what happens? you began to die. 
Ooh, Michael, don't go there. Right. We want to be optimistic, but we've got to be realistic, all right? And that's what Paul's saying. He groans here, but he want, he's burdened here, but he, he can't wait to be in heaven. Let's move on. Verse 5. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God. God has a plan. God has a purpose. No matter what's going on in your life, how crazy, how uncrazy, whatever the case may be, there is a purpose in your life, whether you're following his will or not. It may adjust. You may be having a discipline. You may be uh, putting through a certain trial of temptation, not temptation, but trial, to help you get through certain things. Or you have to live out the consequences of your own choices. But he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has a purpose and a design for you. And here's this nice one, the second part of that verse. Who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. That just reminds us of the, all those times that Jesus in the Bible talks about, hey, there's a marriage coming soon. Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride. We, the people, saints of God, are the bride. And, and in a wedding, a Jewish wedding at the time, what they did was exchange something of value when they made that commitment to each other for eternity, that covenant they made with each other. And it was a, a, a gift, right? We symbolize that sometimes as the giving of rings for that commitment we make for each other. We have nothing to give for this marriage. But Christ pays it for us. Then he says, I'll go one better. I'll give you the spirit as a down payment. So I help you in our covenant when we do get to be finally get married in the reunion in heaven. It's all done by God. It's all done by Christ. We see in verse 6 about something. So we all, so we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. There is a real place. Heaven is real. There is an eternity. There is a heaven. And Christians, while we are here, yes, we are separated from the total glory of God. We have to be. Our bodies couldn't maintain that. Remember when Moses was hidden in the cliff as God just passed by? He saw the trail of him, the very back of him, just a little bit. And he glowed when he saw the, uh, the people in the Old Testament, the Israelites. He glowed. He had to put a sackcloth or a big old bag over his head to hide his glory from God. That was shining off his face. The best way to picture I like to use for this analogy, how our bodies would handle the full glory of God. Go back to the movie Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. At the very end of the movie, they unseal the ark. It's a movie. It's not real. They unseal the ark, and all of a sudden they see some pretty things, and all of a sudden, these major lights and major things come around and everybody's faces melt off. That's what would happen to us in the flesh if we saw Christ or saw God in the fullness of their glory. He, they would destroy us because our bodies, our tents here can't handle that. But there is a difference in heaven. See, even though we're separated from heaven, we're not cut off. We can have glimpses of that glory. We're not cut off because we have communication through prayer. We're not cut off because, remember, we have the Holy Spirit as a down payment that light leads, guides, and directs us with the Word of God leading us. Also, it's God speaking to us. But more on heaven in just a bit. Look at verse 7 and then verse 8. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We know what that is, right? We can't see the, the Spirit moving. I mean, actually see the spirit. We can see what it does, like the wind. Jesus said, hey, it's like the wind. You see what it affects of it, but you don't see the wind. Same scenario. We can't see everything. So we have to live by faith and not by sight. In fact, verse 8, we are confident, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Yes, as believers, we should be excited about heaven. 
Heaven is absolutely a better place than this earth. We can look forward to it. We can be, like I said, excited about it because of what we are told about eternity from God's word. You know, there's over 550 or close to 550 verses concerning heaven. And the main word that's used in the Old Testament about heaven, the main word that's used over and over again, is this word called Shemayan. All right, it means heights. Now, in the Greek, in the New Testament, the main word that's used for heaven over and over again is Urana, Uranus, sorry, Uranus. That means raised or lofty. So you put those together, you kind of get this thing. It's high, lofted, high up, lifted up, right? It's up. Heaven is up. What else is heaven? Well, it is where God dwells. Scripture, here we go. We're going to read them quickly to move on. For a high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is the holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place, Isaiah 57, 15. The Lord looks down from the heavens. He observes everyone. He gazes in all the inhabitants of the earth, Psalm 33, 13, 14. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in my temple of my God. He will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from out of heaven from my God and my new name. Revelation 3, 12. All right, Michael. That's the scriptures. That's just, just three. There's a lot more members. close to 550. What did Jesus say about heaven? Anything? Well, let's find out. I'll just use Matthew, the first few chapters of Matthew, five and six, right? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see... Uh, that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. How about 5, 34? But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne. 5, 45. So that you may be children of your Father. Where? In heaven. 6, 9. Therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. Continue. 7, 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him in heaven? Not done yet. 721. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And finally, therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. You think Jesus was trying to tell us something. I think it's God is in heaven. It's his throne. Done deal. But he does one better. Then he tells everybody where he came from. Here's some selected passages from John. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 633. 638. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 641. Therefore, the Jews started complaining about him, saying, he's saying, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. 650. This is the bread that, came, that comes down from heaven. 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Saints, believers, heaven is real. And as I said in the first verse, we don't need a movie entitled that to tell us that there is a heaven. And don't care what other people, we don't need affirmation or confirmation because the truth is here in the pudding. So that it's God's word tells us. Jesus Christ himself tells us there's a place. It's over and over again. There's a here and there's a there. It's an actual 
place. It's not some emotional state. It's not some feeling that you have. It is real. It's not just imagination. It's real. But we're not there yet. That's the catch. But here's what God, God's word tells us about us being here. And there's a there, heaven. Look at this, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there. Just in case you didn't know what it was, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul continues, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Now, what is so neat about that citizenship that's mentioned in the New Testament Greek? Whoops. It has a terminology that refers to a colony of foreigners. It's a word study looked up. Think about that. A colony of foreigners. Sound familiar? There's some scripture about that. But moving on. In another source, it says it's used to describe a capital city that kept the names of its citizens on a register. That's what this mentality of this citizenship Paul is mentioning. Does that sound familiar? should be because Luke 10, verse 20, Jesus is talking to disciples and says this. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Is your name written in heaven? Is your citizenship in heaven? Or are you just a citizen here on this earth? which has a different registry. But when we get to heaven, what will, how will we know each other? It's a, it's a nice thing to think about. How do we know each other? The best way to describe it is that we will know each other the way we can comprehend intimately. We will know each other. How? Well, looking at an example that happened in Scripture, we got James, John, and Peter went with Jesus up on the mountain, and something happened. Transfiguration happened. Now, they don't know, they don't tell us what happened in the conversation, so we're, we can maybe assume that they weren't near it, but they were there to see it. Question is, how did they know it was Elijah and Moses? Did Jesus say, all right, uh, we got some introductions here, like a Super Bowl meeting. Hey, Captain, Captain, this is James, this is Elijah, Elijah, this is John, John, this is Moses, Moses, this is me. Or do they have heavenly name tags? I'm John. I'm Elijah. And you're bigger your name tag, the more reward. No, I'm just kidding. So what is that? Do they have heavenly name tags? Probably not. Just going out on a limb. But they were seeing things in the spirit at that time. And they knew who Elijah and Moses were. We can. That's a, a logical assumption. Maybe different. I'm just throwing it out there. Something to think about. We will know each other in a way that we can't comprehend on this earth. We will know each other intimately up there in heaven. There's an important question to ask yourself in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Are you heavenly minded? Do we have the right attitude as foreigners on this earth with our citizenship in heaven? Do we have the right heavenly-minded attitude? It's hard to think heavenly-minded. It is. 
Why? Because we sometimes hold so tightly to this world. But it makes sense. Why? It's the only thing we've ever known. It's all we've known. Think about it. The happinesses we've had here has been on this earth. The friendships, the activities, the fellowship, the love, those precious moments. But we have to remember what Jesus said in Mark 8, 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We're not in heaven. But our citizenship is in heaven. So we're on this earth. But the news is we are still under the kingdom rule. We have, as believers, a new family right here. We are a new creation, right? We have a new storehouse. We have a new affection. We have a fellowship, a new fellowship with believers. We are to live in a way that brings God glory in all that we do and say. We are to love God, right, with everything that we are. Love others as we love ourselves. It goes back to that premise we showed with thank you. The youth acted out. What are we doing for our new storehouse? What are we doing now that affects eternity? What are we doing with our children? What are we doing with our sports teams? What are we doing with our social media? What are we doing with our families? What are we doing with our friends? What are we doing with our jobs? That echoes, right, in eternity. What are we doing? I can guarantee this. The first service didn't get to hear this because of time constraints. It's just one sentence. Me for a big, long setup. The anticipation, I see it's, it's almost there. Not enough. We're not doing enough. I don't care if you're Billy Graham. Typish person. We can never do enough. We can never do enough. And that's the rub. That's where we go. Oh, man. So you're saying I can never sit back and rest on my laurels, so to say? No. It's never enough. But it is when Christ is involved. Not with us, but with Christ. What are we doing on this earth? Nothing. Doesn't mean nothing. It's what is Christ doing on this earth through us that brings him glory. You see what uh, Alex was the main man that was here receiving all these thank yous. And he works on it. He always tries to get in character. And I like his facial expression. It's like, hey, this is great. It's like, oh, this is, I don't, this is awkward, right? I don't, this is weird. Uh, hey, I just can't believe this is happening. All these people are thanking me. I feel overwhelmed. I, I'm not worthy of this. And it's so true. Because think about it. There's a, we act these things out a certain way to bring across the theological principle. Think about it. He receives all these thank yous for all the people that Christ worked through him to reach. And Christ is saying, this is for you. You did this for me. But I was working through you. So at the very end of that song, what happens? Alex comes in to the fold. And Jesus goes to the forefront. And it all goes back to Christ. He receives all glory, all honor, all things that you do on this earth for him, is for him. He gives back to him. When you receive a crown of glory, I dare say you'll feel like giving it right back to him. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Christ, I'm not worthy. I only did it because you was in me. That's the attitude. That's a heavenly-minded attitude. So 
there's one more verse we need to read. It gets people uncomfortable. Now, Paul just says in verse 9, therefore, we'd rather be at home away than, all right, and make it, I'm sorry, therefore, therefore, whether we are at home or away, sorry, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. That's what we should be doing, like that thank you analogy. Verse 10 is a tough one. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We're held accountable for every action. This was just a scenario of our good actions. We dare not put the other one up. That's too uncomfortable. What would happen? How are we going to be held accountable for our bad actions? Well, some of us already lived out on earth by the decisions we made. And some of them, you know, it's all speculation after that. We just know we'll be front of the judgment seat and we'll know good and bad what we did. And how troublesome and how overwhelming and grieving that will be for us as believers to see what we should have done or what our ramifications, what we didn't do. So we know God dwells in heaven. It's his throne. We know it's eternity. We know it's everlasting. We know that Jesus came from there. We know we would know each other in ways we can't even comprehend here on this earth. But what about the actual description of eternity? Just a few verses, because we can't leave without describing it. Up on the screens are just some of the verses. I'll read them to you. Oop. There we go. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. It says this, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude for every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation! belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. 21, 21 through 25. I did not see a temple in it, talking about heaven, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. 22, 4 and 5. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will need the light of the lamp. Nope, will not need it. Or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever and back on chapter 21 verse 4 he Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes death will be no more grief crying pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Did you hear this? Heaven. There will be no wrongdoing. Why? Because there's no tears to even have the effect of it. No disappointments. No sadness. And a list I put together. Just a small list. No more codes. No more viruses. 
No more flu. No more congestions. No more arthritis. No more headaches. No more migraines. No more joint damage. No more broken bones. No more accidents. No more boo-boos. No more bullies. No more false teeth. No carcinoma cancers like pancreas, breast, prostate, colon cancers. No sarcoma cancers like lymphoma or germ cancer, cell tumors. No endocrine diseases. No infectional diseases. No intestinal eye diseases. No, uh, no communication disorders. No voice disorders. No genetic disorders like hemophilia. No neurological disorders. No liver disorders. No heart disorders. No mental illnesses. No personality disorders. No relationship problems. No divorce. No uncontrollable thoughts of lust. No conceit. No unfaithfulness. No impurities. No drunkenness. No hatred. No envy. No strife. No conceitedness, no politics, amen, no selfish ambition, no idolatry, no greed, no lack of self-control, no sick beds, no hospitals, no funerals, and no cemeteries. That's heaven. That's totally opposite what this earth is. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're just passing through here. With that in mind, just listen to the song. Earth and heaven will pass away It's not a dream God will make all things new That day Gone is the curse In which I stumbled and fell Evil is banished to eternal hell. No more night, no more pain, no more tears, never crying. Again, but praises to the great I am. We will live in the light of the risen Lamb. See all around, now the nations bow down to sing. The only sound that they sing is praises to the King. And slowly the names of the book are read. I know the king, so there's no need, there's no need to dread, no more night, no
started this whole thing off talking about pragmatism, secularism. What they say is this, right now counts for only right now. But the problem is this, right now just is gone. It's gone again. Right now, it's gone again. Right now, it's gone again. Right now, see what I'm talking about? It's gone. But because of God, right now, is for eternity. Right now. What you do now is forever. There's threefold in this invitation. One, do you have eternity secured in heaven? Meaning, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? If not, I encourage you to come up here and just shortly speak with one of the pastors, or come to find out more about this Jesus of whom we speak of. Two, are you too worldly minded? Are you wrapped up in yourself so much you can't see above your things? You can't see past your desires. Matter of fact, you desire earth more than you do heaven. You're just living for yourself, and then others creep in, you live a little bit for them, and God is a second or third thought, mainly on Wednesdays and Sundays. 
then this is the time you can come and make it more narrow. Repent and ask Christ through that down payment of Holy Spirit he gave us to change you to be more like himself. Thirdly, are you too heavenly minded? What? You know, saying you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. That's a true thing. Are you just piddling around, uh, waiting here on earth, waiting to go to heaven? Remember, this might step on some people's toes. Mine's already black and blue. I had to get new feet put on. Here's the thing. Those who are retired, that's good. Kudos. Hard work for you guys. But you don't retire from the kingdom of God. We don't take breaks. I'm off this weekend from work. So I've taken a break off from Christ too. We don't take breaks. All right? You don't retire. You don't just wait for heaven to come around. We're supposed to be active in our membership of the citizenship of heaven. Remember, we're to be loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, loving others. We're to be telling others, sharing with others, proclaiming to others about the good news of Jesus in heaven. Then that is your choice decisions to come down. Do it in your seat. Do it in the pulpit. If you need to talk to one of the pastors, you can. And make that right. Because what you do now does matter in eternity. Youth choir, come on up. They'll be leading us in our worship, in our invitation song, and in our worship some more. So would you please stand and I'll bow with this prayer for this invitation time. God, we say give you the glory for this day. It doesn't matter the weather. The glory for the day is given to you because you've given us the gift of life. Help us respond. If we don't know your son, draw us to your son that we may know more of him. If we're too worldly minded, help us come forward and change that with your help, with your guidance and your spirit. If we're too heavenly minded, adjust our thinking to reach more and more people to live and give you the glory in all the things that you, you do. We pray this in the holy God of all the universe. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we ask these things. Amen.
remain standing as they continue leading us in worship. time our uh, youth ushers would come forward for a time of offertory prayer and givings of our authors and tithes. Bow with me, Father God, thank you so much for this beautiful day. We pray for this mess, uh, the uh, offering we're giving. The Father will be pleasing to you, given with a cheerful heart, given with no grips. And that, Father, we pray that uh, our church here at Trinity will be diligent in providing and providing and giving the monies as are needed for your kingdom to grow at its max. Help us not be selfish in what we do, but give fully as Christ fully gave to us. Use this offering for your glory. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.